This week is brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become part of their unarmed forces. Brought to you by Daisy May Hatco, the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. John Collins. Hello. You, sir. Hello. You you are on the other side of the world, and somehow I found you because you're a really spectacular human being, and I'm really stoked that you could come on. So, number one, thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, of course. You're a, a really cool athlete that does a lot in our space. And it's really interesting when you find people who do similar physical activity, whether it be for fun or for charity, or just because they enjoy it themselves for, for their mental health. But I always, I always get excited when I find people that are into the same sports as me who are like, yeah, I'll talk to you. And I'm like, oh yes, because it's, I'm genuinely interested in, in, and what you do and how you do it. Um, I think we should start off kind of with like, you're just an Olympian. Yeah. I mean, you're just oh, a two-time Olympian. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. No, it's it, like, it is, you don't really, I think most people who've actually done that sort of thing don't really realize what they've done until they sort of take a moment to breathe and go, Oh, hold on. I've just done, I have done that. That's cool. Um, That's cool. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. It's, it's one of those, it's taken me such a long time to get here that, um, you kind of don't see it happening. You're just the same, you're just doing the same thing every day for a long time. And then suddenly you've been to two Olympics and won a whole load of medals and stuff. So, um, I'm on, hopefully on my way to a third one as well, but we'll see. Oh, we'll see if the world doesn't explode. Um, yeah, that's just a small issue. Um, but it's, it's cool to me because the way you you are about it, and I've seen I've seen some interviews you've done, and and the way that you respond about things, you're very like, yeah, I just I just work really hard, and yeah. and here and here we are. <laughs> you're humble about it, but you're 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 honest about it. I'm really curious though, because how does one get into rowing the way you did? Because that's not something I picture like all kids being like, I'm going to be a professional rower. Um, so my, my route in isn't that common. Um, okay. So, you know, a lot of, uh, especially in the UK, like kids getting into rowing, a lot of them come from like quite posh private schools and things like that. And, you know, there's a strong tradition of like rugby into rowing and things like that. So I went to like a state school and, um, 
as uh, what I I hated sport to be honest when I was a kid like when I was really? a kid I, I, I was I was quite fat and I really liked my PlayStation and I really liked eating sweets and I found I was just rubbish at sports and um and yeah and you know I went to a really athletic school which makes that like a real problem because mm-hmm. like you know we were like borough champions in rugby and borough athletics we would smash it and I just didn't I just didn't contribute anything to that and um I took up an award uh, so it's like a it's like a thing you do at school sometimes if you want to called the Duke of Edinburgh award and it's okay. um named after the queen's husband um who passed away like last year I think and I'm um, Canadian I'm Canadian so your people are my people right we we well, fall yeah. under and yeah. um and yeah and and like so as part of this award you do like um you do a service uh you learn a skill and you do a sport and um I I helped at a, a like a disabled center for like a summer that was my service my skill was I learned to play guitar sort of okay. and um <laughs> for my sport I was at a bit of a loss as to what to do and um my dad rode and his dad rode and um he was just like look you're you're a big lad and you're rubbish at everything else so why not give rowing a go at least he's honest well yeah and um and yeah, we went down to a rowing club uh, in Chiswick called Putney Town, and I, there was this old boy there called Jeff who um, he he took he was like, yeah, I'll take you out in a boat. We'll you know see if you enjoy it. And I went out, and it was it was winter, it was cold, it was wet, it was hard. I didn't enjoy it. It didn't take to it quickly, and I was just like, nah, I'm nah, I don't want this. Nah, I'm not, it's not for me. <laughs> and um, we came back in from the from the session and um my dad said to jeff oh like you know how was he was he all right and jeff just went oh i, I couldn't keep up and um like obviously for a kid who had like zero self-esteem in sports like having someone be like oh he was really good was like well that, i mean that was it that was me sold um wow and i i didn't even enjoy it but just because <laughs> someone told me i was good at it i was just like all right, I'll do it. That's me. I'll I'll do this then. And um, it just got a bit out of hand from there, really. Like got out of hand. Yeah. It was just, um, you know, I just, you know, I I kept on going down. Like I started off going down once a week and then they were like, well, do you want to come down twice a week? And then do you want to come down four days a week? And then um, I got really good. I got really good quite quickly well, good for my age group, at least, quite quickly. And so I moved to another club where they accommodated, like, higher-performing athletes. And, you know, there it, yeah, it just basically went like that and um, kind of slowly worked my way up through the ranks and eventually found myself in the national team. And, it, like, I, I, I know that sounds, like, really understated, but I, that is kind of just exactly how it was. Like I just kept on going and going and going for years. And then it felt like all the people in front of me who were better than me just kind of either stopped or moved to one side. And then the next thing I know I was there. Um, it never felt like that I was like, you know, flying through the ranks or anything. It just kind of like, it just kind of felt like one moment I wasn't and the next moment I was. And, that, and that's kind of how it happened really. 
That's wild because it seems like it seems like with a lot of people in sport, it's they start early. If if they're if they if they achieve anything in sport, it seems like they start early. And a lot of times there's always uh, a person or a moment that you can pin to and go, that was the moment I decided I was going to do X, Y, and Z. And that was like the kick point. And this guy named Jeff, say Jeff was his name. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff. Is it was he um was he like an old pro? Was was he a teacher? No, just he a was guy. The, he just a guy who liked rowing and was there and he was willing to help a kid out who was about to start. And I, I still speak to him these I still speak to him nowadays. Yeah. Like um, you know, that that club is like I you know, my I've got like strong links with them and um and I still see Jeff every now and then and like he doesn't even remember that happening. And like it that's just kind of like he was just a good bloke who said something and he had no idea what he was saying and um and the weight that what he said carried. But it's quite I kind of like that in a way. Like it would almost it almost makes it better that he didn't. Yeah, of course, but it's so it's so beautiful to be able to actually connect those dots back to those moments because we often a lot of people have those moments, but the individual never gets to hear about the impact that they had, because maybe it's like a person walking by you or someone that you didn't have a contact with, but it was a moment. And that moment was a catalyst point that made you the person you are. And I think you turned out pretty all right. So, I mean, to be able to, to go and, and, and articulate that to that person and kind of pay gratitude to them for that. I think that's the most special, the the most special thing ever. And that's what you said. It's like, I know it's like, doesn't seem it's anticlimactic, but I think it's uh, it's really unique and special because of that moment. I think we, a lot of times in humanity, it seems like lately, especially, we really struggle with uh, taking the taking the time and patience with individuals to give them an opportunity like that, and the importance of communicating and talking with people and just being willing for a second to look outside yourself and, and benefit somebody else, but not even do it because you you're expecting anything back. Like he just, I'll just, let's, let's go. Let, like, let's go. You look like you need to row. You look like you need to move your body. So I'm, let's just go. I mean, it's the small things. Right. And anyway, that's so special to me. And I think it's uh, amazing to highlight. And I love that you get to like communicate with him that way. Because yeah. I had a moment like that, but I'll, I don't, I'll never, I never, like, it was one of those like passing by kind of moments that was like the turn point. And yeah. so I love that you get to actually have that relationship afterwards with him. Yeah. You get to relive it a bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, he'll, he'll probably never let you forget it now at this point because of how good you are. You're like, well, I, I did this. Yeah. I want yeah. you to know that. Um, that yeah. Well, I mean. I mean, how can he not? I'm going to sidetrack tangent because I have, this is how I work. Do you have a Lego spaceship behind you? Yeah, I do. Can we air high five for a second? Can we do it? Thank you. Because I also have that one in my house. And I was a bit of a space nerd as a kid and uh, it kind of never really left. And my dad's one as well. And uh, so for Christmas a couple of years ago, they got me that, and um, and I and yeah. So I, I, the thing is, it's such a big thing to put together that I was like, I'm never going to take it apart again. So I've just got to keep it now. That's what we've done. Yeah. We have like, uh, we have my husband and I are super into Lego, but so is my son, and so now it's like the excuse to buy all the space Lego and all oh, yeah. the. 
we've got this one we just built. It's the Home Alone house. Oh, and it's very nice. 4,000 pieces. And so we've started to just build a corner of the toy room into like a Lego city because the idea of taking them apart and building that thing again and how long it took, I got to keep it now. Yeah. Especially oh. as there's, when there's that many pieces, you if you take it apart, you've just got a pile of that many pieces. And you know what the worst part is? Like, do you have kids yet? No, not yet. Okay. Okay. Don't learn this lesson from me now. And I know this is weird, but trust me because then they'll smash them. And then they put all the Lego into one big bin. Good luck trying to find that piece. That's this big in that pile. What you got to do is you take it apart and you put it in baggies. And then you put the, you put the instructions with the baggie and that's how, you know, I learned that lesson. Look at me just momming you. I just mom tangent you. I, I hope it's a useful piece of information. No, I, I get that. That's what my parents do when they hand me down Lego. God, it's listen, there's things that need to be done in life and you got to learn the hard way sometimes. I just love that you have that. That that makes me so happy. So you're a space nerd. Oh, I want to know about this. Well, I mean, it's, there's not a lot to a lot to tell, really. It was just I, I think it probably started watching um, like my dad's always been into it, but it probably started watching Apollo 13, like when I was younger okay. and um I just I find it fascinating and we we had a world championships a few, uh, in 2017 in Florida and um I got to, well we we stayed out there afterwards for a little break and um I got to go to like the Kennedy Space Center and stuff and that was just on, honestly like walking into that hangar where the Saturn V rockets like hung up on its side like I I felt like a little kid all over again like I was it just blew me away the scale of that thing and just incredible it's 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 like a very american thing though isn't it i was saying this um to my dad that like only an american could have like the kind of audacity to go oh there's we're gonna make something like a skyscraper and fire it at the moon like uh, if you asked a british person whether you oh should we do that they'd go oh don't be silly but like an american (laughs) like yeah we'll launch that skyscraper at the moon yeah. I mean, why not? Right. Well, of course. Well, well, of course. Who didn't, who, why didn't we think of the Surter? Like who didn't come up with this? That's yeah, exactly. no, it's so, I love that you say that too. Cause it's so true. The um, it's, it's so painfully true and it's so representative of every aspect of the way Americans do things. Yeah. Um, it's like the greatest example that just applies to all things. It's like, yeah. do you know how you describe an American? Picture a skyscraper. Yeah. We're going, going to, to shoot it up. We're going to essentially turn it into a massive bomb and fire <laughs> it at the moon. And we're going to put humans in it. Yeah. And we'll, yeah. We'll sit someone at the top. That'd be fun. And we've never taken them down. So we don't really know if we're going to get them back. Yeah. We'll give them a parachute. I mean, we'll try. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. They'll catch on fire. It'll be fine. They might explode on the way up. Kids will watch it in school. It's, it'll be fine. Exactly. We'll play it. We'll play it for schools, just in case. America, there is something I'm telling you. I live in Canada and I'm in America a lot. And I'm very fortunate to be able to to have close American friends because my God, I just, I love it. It doesn't matter where you go. There's a different accent and there's a different way of life and, and they're drastically different than the state from the state to the state. 
and it makes it so fun because you can be like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And they're like, nope, no problem. Yeah. We can do that. And you're like, oh, wow. Anywhere else? No, that'd be a hard pass. But that's, that's also similar to, I feel like maybe I'm judging here, but this feels like it's similar to the way that the British are with mental health, in my opinion. And let me explain why. British people, I find that I know struggle more with emotional being upfront and emotional or uh, open, as opposed to when you go to America, everyone's just, we're all here for everything. Um, Is that because of the queen? Is there this understanding that you just Um, have to just all the time? Maybe there's definitely like a culture of like an understated culture where we sort of downplay our problems a bit. Um, Like I, I, you know, I do think that's changing though. Um, you know, like I look at guys of my dad's generation, they don't really talk about their problems as much, like maybe a little bit, but not much. Um, and, and, you know, like in my generation, so I'm like in my early thirties now and there's, you know, there's guys of my age, some like, some are happy to talk about like their emotions about things and, and be quite open. And some aren't like, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I view it as a sign of like almost modern manliness to be like a bit, to be willing to open up about like vulnerabilities and things like that, you know, be able to say things like, oh, I'm, you know, there are certain things I struggle with. And um, I, I think that there's like a, a bravery and something like almost, yeah, like manly about doing that. Mm. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, like definitely like a, yeah, I know what you mean. I understand, like, the Brits do just, like, shut things away. They're very polite. It's like we're going to put, put all of our problems in the cupboard and pretend they don't exist. Um, but then, yeah. then again, like, if you do, like, I don't want to say that it's not good to talk about it, uh, but you have to be careful not to devalue what you're saying as well. Because if, if you're always, there's a, you know, the boy, the boy who cried wolf. Correct. I, I get what you're saying. I have. To, I, I want to be very careful about what I say because I'm. I don't want people to think it's not. I'm saying it's not okay to talk about things, but I think at the same, you know, there's if a, you know, like when people do open up, especially in you know, sort of British culture, it's taken quite seriously because someone's brave enough to do that, and they're not just like all the time being like, oh, I've got all these problems. I've, you know, do you know what I mean? No, I, I know. I hundred percent. It's, it's different. I get what you mean. And I know what you're saying. It's a different, it's, it's different in culture in the way that we respond. And we, we, uh, I know exactly what you're saying. I'm trying to articulate this right. Cause I can see it in my head. So for example, just using a wide example in America, there is a, there is a mentality of, um, like words are the worst thing that can happen to a person. Uh, it's was, uh, everyone's real. I call them soft. That's fine. It's what it is. Um, there's a different, there's a difference. And when you're, when you're, um, super woke, cause I don't have a better description and you, you are on about everything all the time about this and about that and about this and about that. And it's disingenuine. Uh, to some extent, because I do find that individuals who are truly struggling, it's much harder to tell. It's not like this, you know, screaming in the streets. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that it's that's, that's different. 
that's more of an intention, attention seeking because maybe they're struggling and that's their only way of, of telling people. But I also think a lot of times that is like very uh, virtue signaling. It's a uh, part of being a, being a part of something. It's not the individuals who are, I don't know if they're going to wake up tomorrow. I don't know if these individuals are struggling to the point of, of genuine suicidal thoughts. Like there's a different person. And when that person speaks out, it definitely comes out different and it, and it rings differently to a person. I I think sometimes as well, people just don't know if they're suffering, like people who are legitimately suffering or, or have something, have a problem quite often don't know that that exists um like I've definitely like I look back at some periods of my life and got I've gone up I was in a bad way then um and actually like at the time you sort of you know you're not in in the best of moods and stuff but you don't really think there's much wrong but then right you kind of get a couple of years away from that and you go holy hell like what I was not in I was not okay then no and it's it's just hard because we are trying as a society to educate individuals on what that looks like, but it's, it's so individual. It's so different for everyone. And I know so many people who now didn't realize that their chest shouldn't hurt all the time. Yeah. Like legitimately where they were like, Oh, I didn't know that that wasn't, supposed to like, I I thought that was just how you feel. I didn't know that that was a weird feel like that was wrong or not wrong, but it could be fixed or it could be helped or could be improved. I thought that was just the way I live. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I like, for me, when I came back from the Rio Olympics, um, you know, I've been like, I was like borderline psychopathic when I was there because I was just in this zone of having to like perform at like, Mm -hmm. you know, I was at like the this like performing machine that was built for one purpose. And then like six weeks later, I remember bawling my eyes out watching free Willy. And I was like, I remember just being like, Oh, this is a bit weird. Like what I like is free Willy. It's like, yeah, cool. It's like an emotional scene, but like, why am I crying? Um, And you kind of like, Oh, that's, you know, that's weird. (laughs) And then you realize actually like later down the line that you were just like in a, such a deep hole. And you just didn't know. Did um did that start happening for you, or did you start noticing things like that after the first Olympics? Or did you going backwards? I mean, after because you've had to have competed now for mm. how many years? I mean, your whole life, and you've gone through loss and ups and downs, but have you noticed any of that before? Uh not to that, not to that extent. Um like I think Rio was quite unique in in its um, like the intensity of the emotion around it, um, because so uh, I was in a, a double with this guy called Johnny Walton, and the two of us had sort of come up into the team together. We'd come up through the ranks together, and we'd been put in a boat together. And we weren't particularly like we were good, obviously, because we were in the national team and we were like the selected national team double, but. Um, we were in like the most successful British rowing team ever. And we like were never on the medal podium. Uh, like Brit- British rowing was like at the top of the medal table all the time, everything we went to. 
but we were like contributing nothing to it like we were just like there okay and everyone's coming home with medals and we're not and um at the last world cup race before the olympics in rio we won our first medal and it like in this like wonderful fashion as well like we stormed out ahead of the field and we were just caught on the line by the new uh by the kiwis the new zealanders and then um and we were, had this like run up into rio where we like legitimately believe we could win a medal and like it was the most like perfect build-up um to to a championship like just every day just completely like in it loving it going so well and like we had the race of our lives to get into the olympic final and then the olympic final was like this um like this is quite like sort of niche rowing knowledge but the olympic final was like a a really strong headwind um so like wind again you're rowing into the wind which slows the race down a lot makes it really heavy and hard and you have to be really physically strong to like do well in that and we just weren't that strong like we were quite good technically but we weren't very physically strong and um we just had a it was just like everything we needed to be good at we weren't and so obviously you're like you're like charging up the side of this mountain uh to get as you're coming into the olympics just to like fall off a cliff on the other side um and that's kind of what it felt like like it um you know it felt like we literally fell off a cliff and and yeah and i really struggled with that it was you know and a load of my friends became olympic champions my girlfriend became an olympic silver medalist and there's like a whole load of things that come along with that that are like loads of perks that the medalists get they get invited to all this stuff that the non-medalists don't and it was just like I was just being repeatedly kicked whilst I was down um and so yeah I I did get go to a very dark place then um and it yeah that was very very tough to to come out the other side of unscathed well not unscathed I wasn't unscathed I like there were sort of scars from that which won't ever leave but then at the same time, like since then, I've won quite a lot of medals, across, you know, like not, not, I didn't win an Olympic medal in Tokyo, but um, I've won a lot of like World Cup medals and a European medal. And I got a world championship medal as well. And I don't think I would have done any of that if I hadn't have suffered so badly. But um, yeah, like that, that was a very dark period. And, and, before that not so much like a bit ups and downs sure but not not to that extent um that was the big one did um can i ask because when when you become uh on the olympic path or the the training route you go on and you start getting selected for the team mm-hmm. and you're you're obviously given physical fitness trainers, you're giving things to optimize, um, so that you're, you know, going to be the best of your ability to represent the country. What psychological support is given to you during that run up Um, and even after? Well, there was, there, there is like some support that you can get if you go and look for it, but it's like sports psychology. Um, there is, I, there are like um if you go and see like the doctor and you say like you know i think i'm depressed etc you can get like 
referred to a therapist and you can get like antidepressants and things like that but I didn't even I like I probably should have done that but I didn't know that that's I didn't like that wasn't something I thought of doing do you know what I mean yeah it wasn't readily accessible uh like I I don't want to I don't want to sort of do a disservice to the people that run that stuff but no, I'm always just curious about the back end of sport because sorry to interrupt. The reason I ask this is, is not to bash anyone. It's to it's to understand where we are where we are failing people so that we can better those spots. It's no different than the military where they drop off. I ask all the time like were you given this and and do you think that if you were given that do you think you might be in a different position because somebody asked me that question last year and yeah. it was a big moment for me when I was like, they asked me, it was, um, Jocko asked me, do you yeah. think if somebody sat you down after what happened and said, what you're feeling is normal, what you're going through is normal and you know, X, Y, and Z from a leader, do you yeah. think that you would have had the same, re- do you think it would? And I said, no, I think I, it would have been much different. So that's why I ask. It's just, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, I know exactly like what you mean. Okay. I, like, I think, I think what I needed was someone to come up to me and say, "You need to see someone." Got it. Um, but then, like, it's a hard conversation for people to have, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know if the sometimes people don't even know that, like, you know, you don't even notice when you're close with people that you know they don't see you, they don't see you change because you're too close. If that makes sense. No, a hundred percent. And I, I probably needed someone to be like, you actually, you need to speak to someone because you're not okay. Right. Um, the stuff was there for me to use if I wanted to, but I would didn't, I wasn't really in a place where I knew that that's what I needed. Right. Um, and like, I've, I've sort of sought out um, sort of help. I don't, I, help's probably not the right word, but um, so I, I've got, a, I've got a good friend now who's a, uh, a professor of psychology and he's like a bit of like a I don't I, I don't I don't want to even say I work with him it's like a really weird relationship he's like a really good friend who like helps put things in context for me and um you don't see he, him on a like, professional basis you guys are really good friends and he just happens to yeah you know yeah he's a good he's solid homie <laughs> yeah we, it's like it's like we have conversations about things I'm sort of experiencing Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, you know, I've had a this meeting at training or I've had um, this has happened or that's happened and I've interpreted it this way. And he sort of talks, he he will have a conversation about that. Um, and, you know, he, he's not like a, uh, he's not like a shoulder to cry on or he's not going to give me a cuddle. He's, he'll probably give me a slap for more before yeah. he gives me a cuddle. But, um, you know, like he's helped me to make sense of stuff. And I think like since Tokyo, like obviously I was expecting after Tokyo to be similar to how I was after Rio. Um, you know, I was like ready to go with that. Like I was like, I'm going to, this is going to be tough. I'm going to, I'm going to find things tough. And, um, and, you know, I need to be ready for that because I don't want it to be like last time. And, uh, but, you know, like I went into it, my eyes open, I knew it was going to be hard because, you know, you aim your, you, you put your entire life into one thing and, you know, you have to be ready for when that one thing's finished, whether you've done well or whether you've done badly. 
and um and he like really helped me with that and that that's um you know that was where that the the metro marathon challenge was born um and that so this was so the guy i'm talking about his name's professor kevin dutton um and he came up with the metro marathon challenge which was like this mental running challenge yeah can you break this thing down because i i won't lie to you when it is described on paper i don't understand but okay. i know it looks ridiculous so um the the challenge was that to navigate every london underground station so the whole london underground network on foot um in in one go and then at the end of it run the london marathon but it was for a homeless charity um so along the way we slept rough so we we tried our best to live like an authentic to to sleep as an authentic homeless person would now obviously that's actually kind of hard to do and to do a challenge. So there were some nights which probably don't quite fall under a homeless category, but for the most, yeah, like that's, that's how, how we did it basically. Um, how it, long is yeah, the a, London tube? Like how, how, cause that is a very intricate system. So we had a, a, um, a mathematical engineering company called Cap Gemini. <laughs> And they worked out. So the only thing we gave them was that we needed to finish at, in Lewisham, which is the closest tube station to the start of the London Marathon. And uh, from that, like apart from that, all they had to do was work out the quickest route or the shortest route to do all 307. Well, it was 315 stations when we started, but they opened up two more during the challenge. Um, and that, yeah, they had to they had to work out the shortest route, and um, so including the marathon and the two extra stations and all the others, it was three hundred and forty eight miles. Um, yeah, it was a long way. You're like I'm an Olympian on water. I yeah. can do this. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I wasn't that I wasn't that naive. I like I. You should like I. I won't show you now, but my like lower leg from the knee down is like pathetically skinny. Like my calves, <laughs> my calves like do not exist. Like the reason I row is because I can't run. Um, like run. Yeah, like I, I'm. I'm just like I'm built for one thing, and that is rowing. Like I can't catch. I can't run. Um, not I coordinated. No, no, nothing like that. I'm. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just like kind of good at rowing and very stubborn and okay. that yeah and um the furthest I'd ever run um up until that point was about 7 miles um in one go and so I obviously <laughs> getting better like, yeah I had to like I had 6 weeks training uh to get ready to run 348 miles yeah um and so, so Kevin, the guy who I was doing it with, he, um, he's a really good runner and he, so he was doing like mental mileage, you know, he, you know, he's, some days he's covering like over a marathon in a day, um, you know, like not in one go, but like split up and stuff like that. And I was like, I can't do that. 
because if I try and do that, I'll just break. Yeah. So I had to do the opposite. I had to start really short and just like get more and more mileage until the day. Um, How far did so you I'm, get before the day? Uh, so like not the week before, but the week before the week before I did three half marathons in a week. Um, okay. So the week, the week before that I did a 21 mile race, uh, race run. Um, because someone had said that in a marathon, the hardest, it starts to get really hard at 20 miles. So I was like, well, I'll do 21 yeah. miles and see what that's about. And, and then we'll just deal with it on the day. Well, I was so glad I did because I'd been doing all these half marathons thinking I was, this was just a breeze. Like for me, like a half marathon, I was like, yeah, I can do this. These are my sleep now. These are no problem. And then I did this 21 miler and like sort of 18 19 miles i was like oh shit like this is mm-hmm. this is not what i expect and then got to 21 12, well past 20 miles and i was in a lot of pain and i was so glad i'd done that because i would not have been ready for the marathon if i hadn't so the one extra mile made you able to do i love that so much that makes me so th- like i've heard so many people be like oh marathons not a big deal. And I'm like, have you passed the threshold point? Cause there's, there is, there's like that. Once you hit a certain mileage, I don't care what anybody says. There's a pain period there before your body and your mind have to go turn this one off. And this one just keeps going from there because there's that weird, there's that weird moment. And I know I love that you knew that. <laughs> well, yeah. And the thing was though, is so, uh, one of Kevin's best friends is a guy called Hugh Jones and he, is still the only Londoner to have won the London Marathon. And oh, um, Jesus. that was back in like 82, I think. And um, we had dinner with him the night before we started the challenge. And um, I was like, right, you know, chance to like pick this great marathon runner's brains about how to, how to run a marathon. And he's there telling me stuff like, you know, it should be really easy until halfway halfway to 20 miles you'll start to feel it a bit and then at 20 miles it gets like really hard and he's like the really elite runners the the biggest difference is actually in the last two miles he said that that, like you're a really elite marathon runners they trained for the last two miles I was like okay I'm there like making notes like yeah cool like I'm I'm all about this like I'm gonna pace (laughs) it perfectly no problem and uh like obviously we got there having done like 315 stations at that point um you know like the day before we'd had a short day at like 10 miles and um i got like i didn't show it enough respect and so uh, on the morning kevin was like super quiet he's like a really chatty guy but he was like super super quiet and i was there just like oh this is great and everyone in the starting area is like really nervous and i'm just like I, like eight weeks ago, I was on an Olympic start line. Like this is this is a breeze. Like this would be fun, right? Yeah. And um, so actually, I was completely wrong. And one, literally one mile in, my legs were in agony, and I was just like, "This is not me- how it's meant to be." And it's just because well, I was like so fatigued that I was ruined. The uh, how far? Like what was the mileage? Was it? Three, so it was 330 minus the marathon. So that's what you had done up till the marathon point. So yeah, you're going to be gassed. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. But the thing is, is I like, so I found it really hard to start with. Um, the first week I was in a lot of pain 
Um, mm. Whereas like because Kevin's like a runner, he was fine. Um, and I was, my feet were just in agony. But then as like the um, challenge wore on, like the last sort of four or five days, obviously like my, my sort of athletic ability is, a, you know, I'm, I, I'm still like an Olympic athlete. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like my ability to recover is like really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to like get into a groove and towards the end of the challenge, I was like, oh, I'm actually like, I'm, I'm going to be okay here. This is going to be good. You know, like the speed we were running between the stations was picking up quite, we were getting quite fast between the stations. Um, you know, so I'm starting, I'm like daring to dream that we're going to start, we're going to do like a really quick time. Uh, and I was just so wrong. Um, oh, yeah. How did it go? How was the rest of the run? Uh, yeah, no, it was good. It was really good. Um, like we did, well, we did like, we did just under four hours for the marathon, which I was like really, really chuffed with. Um, but I was in so much pain, like the whole way I, I was just like, yeah, I was in so much pain, but, and yeah. And because we found out during the challenge that two more stations had been opened, we had to then do like a warm down walk from the finish line of the marathon to these two other stations. So we could, so it was like two and a bit miles after the marathon to go to, to get to these two more, these two more stations. Oh my God. I, my body hurts thinking about that. The, there's a, I don't know. I, I did a recently, I did a, I did a 50 K off the couch. Somebody I knew was training for uh, um, a event for charity. And I, I physically only hurt myself for charity. Now it's like kind of my rule. Um, and so I'll always, I'll, if I'm, somebody asked me to do a physical thing, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. It'll sound ridiculous. I'll do it. So he asked me two weeks before, I was like, do you want to, you want to do this training run? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Um, I hadn't run in a minute. So I was like, yeah, I got to like a good, I think it was 26, 25, 26 K. And I started to feel my hips like crunch. And I was like, oh, I don't enjoy this uh, very much. This running part is not, this is not for me. And then I just volunteered to go do the four by four by 48 in Texas for charity, which is four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So, I mean, as you see, I learned from my mistakes. Um, I learn, I learn nothing, but it's good that it's for charity. What did you guys end up raising? What was the when it was so the you say it was for homeless how does that work in the uk was it a specific organization so it's um it was for a charity called the running charity okay. and they they raise money to like help people who are like at risk or like mainly young people who are at risk of being homeless um or or, or are homeless and they like help I, i'm not really sure if i'm honest i'm not really sure how the charity works but i just know that they like help a lot of people out and we we had a load of guys that came and met us who were like helped by the charity quite a lot of them are guys who have like come uh like immigrated to the uk and they've um they need help like settle it like you know they're, they're like maybe come from somewhere that's like pretty that, that's not doing very well and they need, you know, they come here and they need help. And um, the charity like sorts them out. And I mean, on, on top of that, they make some friends in their running group. And and it seems to be doing some really cool stuff. Um, so, the, I mean, that was really cool. Like, if I'm honest, like, I never really like that the, the ch- whole homeless thing was Kevin's idea. 
um like for me like the challenge was a lot more personal um because so Kev kevin had like a there's like a homeless guy who was like kind of famous in the uk in, in london um who lived in, in chiswick and um kevin met this guy when he was younger and um he'd had like an argument with his dad and um stormed out and gone and sat down with this homeless bloke and the bloke had said to him like oh go home son you don't know what you've got until you lose it um and so kevin was like yeah all right then so he goes home and makes up with his dad and years later it was so like just before, when kevin came up with the challenge it was because he had found out that this guy passed away he'd been living under this um, um he'd been living under this flyover for 36 years and the, what he was talking about when he said you don't know what you have until you until you lose it was that his wife and uh, I believe his daughter had died in a car accident on the flyover above where he was staying, and oh. he had gone into like a state of denial and just like moved in there. Ooh. And uh, and so when and like obviously these words had been quite like powerful to Kevin, and so when he found out this this boy had passed away, he. Um, he was like, well, I feel like I should do something. And that's when he came up with the challenge and, and obviously the homeless, the homeless side of it. Um, yeah. And yeah. And like, so that sort of thing was mainly him, but we had a conversation that, um, which sort of takes us back down that mental health, health route that, um, cause I was saying like, you know, he, we were saying like, we want to raise money. So we're going to have to like, get some profile for this thing we're gonna to have to like do some pr stuff and i he, i was like what do i say when people are like why are you doing this because like I, I can't pretend i have some link to the homeless that i don't it's like right i obviously it you know i feel sorry for the homeless there's a problem there that needs to be solved but there's like a thousand other problems that are like in my eyes just as bad that could also be solved so why would i pick this one and um he came up with this really like because Kevin's like a, I mean he's like a super genius he you know <laughs> he um and he said this thing to me which really like burned into my brain and that was that like when you are training for an Olympics you have this like all-consuming thing that it offers you like a sense of being and a sense of purpose and you feel very at home whilst you're doing your doing this thing and then all of a sudden it's over and he said, suddenly you feel like completely displaced. You don't, you don't feel like you belong anywhere. You're kind of like drifting around. And he was like, you could sort of say that you're psychologically homeless. And, and I was like, oh. obviously he's like sort of twisting words there. But at the same time, what he said, I made get like, it. it made complete sense. It's like you had this set. I mean, like I, I, I can imagine it's not too dissimilar from uh, people coming back from the armed forces. Like if you've been away somewhere, you've had this like purpose for so long and you come back and you just don't really feel like you belong. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. like a this sense that you're just kind of like floating about, waiting for something else to like come and grab you and take you off in a direction. Nailed um, it. <laughs> yeah. And he 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 just said that he just was like, Yeah, you're psychologically homeless. And I was like, Well, that'll do. Like that's <laughs> that's, that's yeah, that I mean that you've hit the nail on the head there. Um and it really was like it, you know, he, um, we, we got back from Tokyo and, um, you know, like we'd, I, I hadn't been home for like two months because I'd been on training camp and then 
we weren't because of covid we weren't really allowed to go away anywhere we had to like stay in this bubble to make sure you know like hoops to jump through with like uh, the british olympic association and the tokyo government and all of this stuff and um so we had to be like isolated for a long time and then we came home and it's like you've got to unpack all of this kit and find a home for it and tidy the place up i did all of that like the day we got back and then sat down and was like what do i do now like this like whole expanse of time just opened up in front of me and i was like well what am i supposed to do and it was pretty much at that exact moment that i got a text from kevin being like do you want to do this thing and like he could have literally said oh do you want to jump off a cliff and i'd be like yeah sure let's do it um but instead it was running 348 miles and at the time felt like the same thing to do um yeah <laughs> do you- There's a lot there because I think people don't quite understand what that feels like, or maybe they do. And they're, they're just starting to see, you know, similarities and things when you get taken, like you said, when you get taken away from something, you spend your whole life trying to do one thing. And then that one thing is over it, the, the psychological toll that it takes. And like, you see that in a lot of professional athletes, you see that in NFL players, you see it in NBA, you see it in any sort of athlete where it's a high level, you have to be a high level and it's a short period of time and it's a go fast lifestyle. The come down from that is a completely different thing that is not being, it's, it hasn't been acknowledged until recently. And it's just now people are starting to acknowledge it with, and I think, I think when, when athletes like you and Michael Phelps and people who have gone through some type of high level, um, ramp up and you're so hyper-focused and you start talking openly and honestly about, Hey, like this is, you know, what do I do with my life? How do I be, how do I function? What, you know, what I'm home, I'm, I'm psychologically homeless. That's a, that's a legitimate statement. I think we don't, we don't really look after athletes afterwards, maybe, you know, say look after, but there isn't the same care that's given while you're being the athlete or you're, you're that guy or you're that person. Do you know what I mean? Like people are all around you and watching you, but it's different afterwards. Yeah. But I I do think that if you're going to do anything that you, you know, like trying to win the Olympics is like obviously quite a big deal. And you're, you know, it's such a, such (laughs) a big thing to aim for. And there's a chance it might all go wrong. And there's a, I mean, even like there's a chance it might go right. And that's just also hard to deal with. I know guys who have won the Olympics who find it really challenging to deal with that. Um, Like it's just this huge thing that's there and then it's not. And I think it's not a case. I, for me, I'm not, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that it is quite expensive on your mental health. Like I, Rio was a shock to me. And it was hard, but at the same time, once I'd done that, I was like fully willing to do that all go through all of that again to have that high high, if that makes sense. Like the the lows 100%. are obviously, you know, like I was ready for the lows and mm-hmm. actually like having the tools to deal with that made me even more excited to like go through all of it again. Because, you know, like actually it's like, well, if I just make sure I've got something planned. I'll be okay. Um, 
and I'll just, you know, I'm willing to do, I'm willing to do it all again. You know, I'm, I'm back to do it a third time as well. So, um, you know, like I do think that if you're doing anything that is truly stretching you as a person, you're always going to have to deal with that. Um, and yeah, like there does need to be like an acceptance of that. Like, you, you know, we do need to be ready for that because if you know someone that is like doing something that is like kind of hard, um, they're going to, they're going to struggle when it's like either when it's over or when it goes, doesn't go well, or even if it does go well, like regardless when it's over, it, they're going to struggle. And like knowing is kind of quite powerful and actually like having something to finding something to aim for afterwards as well. Like that run, like running, like I hate running, but it was like, Oh, I've got to, I've got to do a whole load of it very soon. So I best get doing it. And that was honestly the, the, like this time round, it was so much easier because I had this thing just to aim at that was completely like, well, at, like at first glance, completely irrelevant to me, but I just had a target and it was like, Oh, this is great. I've got something to aim for. And I had a great time all summer just doing this thing. It gave you a goal. It gave you uh, a purpose, a drive again. Right. And the, um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with the way that you speak about the difficulties of the of uh, the come up, and I think it is something that we we um, need to acknowledge and, and and normalize because it's important to do difficult things in life. You need to stress yourself psychologically and physically to allow your your body to not always be in this hyper stressed mode. Because if you've only dealt with you know the traditional everyday life and nothing's ever change and everything's kind of been trucking along for you. When something difficult happens, it will shake you to your core because you don't know how to deal with it because you never stress your body or your mind. So I agree with that. I think normalizing difficulties is incredibly important. And I'm not talking about trauma. I'm talking about go hurt yourself physically for a sport. Go, go break yourself psychologically for something better than yourself because there's there's a power in that and there's, there's usefulness in that. And there's something to that, that creates somebody with resiliency and character and somebody that is relentless when it comes to pursuing something they, that is greater. And I think individuals, um, you know, there's so often the, oh, I don't, I can't do that. That's too hard. Was well, like, well, have you even tried? You must try. You have to try. And I think pushing people to try is, is one of the, the most important things we can do, especially with our youth in sport, in, in, um, not just in sport, but in, um, if, if they're into academics, whatever they're into, push them to strive for bigger. Don't just be this, go above that, try to go above that and see, and see where you can land. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like, I, I'm definitely someone who, um, likes to find things to do that are at the edge of my capabilities. And actually, like, in some ways, that's kind of like a flaw, because if I if like mundane tasks and things that are like easy to do, and I should do, I, I really struggle to do because they're, they're, they're not exciting. Um, whereas things like, well, yeah, things like trying to win an Olympics or um, like, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do some writing as well. Like, I don't even know if I can do it. And it's like, I'm just giving it a go because someone said to me, you should give it a go. And it's like, I've no idea if I'll be good, but I'm going to do it because like, 
why not? Um, well, you started, right? Did you start? Yeah, I'm, I've started writing, yeah. So and, then you're um, already doing it. Well, yeah, exactly. But it's like you have no, like, things like um, tidying my room or, uh, mm. you know, like uh, doing this, like, mundane bit of admin. Like, I really struggle Every to day. do that stuff because it just doesn't test me in the same way. And actually, like, that, I don't know, maybe that's because, the like, for me, find doing things that are at my limits is what makes me feel more alive if that makes sense but that does come with the sort of some pretty hard times around it as well um but no i i think that's something to be celebrated like i think dealing with this stuff is like part of what makes you makes you alive because if you're just some like flat being that just kind of drifts through in this like gray state like i the thought of like just sitting there and doing something that's easy all day, every day, nine to five, and then going and sitting on a sofa and watching the telly. Like for me, I like, I'm terrified that that might lay up, lay there for me after the rowing. Uh, like I'm terrified that that might be what's life life's like. And I just can't do it. I can't do that. You can't do, um, you can't do regular life, but some people can't. And I wish I do wish there was more of that in society because you know how far we would have progressed. I mean, if we, if we took the people or we were able to see any potential in, in, in individuals young enough, and we had this where we just took the people and we're like, you all look and you all have the characteristics that we know we can turn into these elite human beings. If we focused more on that, the amount of advancement we would have would be astronomical because the the care would have been taken to see to see the potential. And yeah. that goes back to Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I do Jeff. I do I do believe that like most people and I'm not saying everyone, but like there's a lot of people in the world that have it in them to be the best in the world at something. Mm -hmm. And like most people will never find out what that is. And like, that's probably just like, I'm not going to sort of sit here and be like, you need to look harder because like, who knows, like someone might be the best, I don't know, uh, basketball player in the world, but like they're just actually just a tall person who lives down the road who doesn't who works for a living and has never played basketball do you know what i mean right yeah uh, not exposed to it yeah and it's like they'll never know and that's just the, the sad fact for some people but i do think we're sort of obliged as you know habitants of this planet that we probably should go and have a look for something that we are going to be the best in the world at and i was just lucky enough to find well i'm not the best in the world but i've not far off and not, was, not um, yet well not yet and um i was just lucky enough to like find the thing that i was really good at and um i think like i like that's obviously something i'm incredibly grateful for and obviously like i you know i we have these this i get to have these discussions because of what i've done but actually i'm i'm sat here in a state of gratitude for that not um you know, I'm not sort of sat here like looking down my nose at people because they haven't done what I've done. I'm like grateful because I found the thing that I can do to this standard. Um, and, you know, I'd, I think there's a like a, a willingness to go looking for that is what gets people to to this. Um, and yeah, and I think that should be a state that should be something we all strive for. Um, 
yeah and uh, like, i think people are scared because it does come with um you know hard emotions you know you, you will have like tough days that where you burst into tears watching free willy but you will also you know like you get to have a, a like I, you know i've had a beer with my dad just after winning a world championship medal like that there's not many things that beat that do you know what i mean um yeah and you know uh there's some like there are some things that i've had some high highs that just will never be beaten like even if i win the olympics like there are certain things that, you know like um in rio one of the things that really but like really stuck with me was um i had a conversation do you know who chris hoy is i know of but i've never spoken with so he's he's like a he's well, Sir Chris Hoy. He's um he's like a he's won like a whole load of Olympic gold medals mm-hmm. in track cycling, and it, like in the UK he's like a Olympic sporting legend. And I remember meeting him in Rio uh, at like a party for um, some of the guys who'd won medals in the rowing, and he was just there at the British House partying away, like having a beer with some of his friends and I went up and asked him if I could have a picture with him and he saw me obviously wearing my team GB kit and uh he started talking to me about what I was doing and um we just got chatting and he was that it was like the way he was talking to me like I was there I was a complete fangirl just like please can I have a picture with you um but he'd obviously seen this bit of kit which I'm wearing and gone, oh, he's a part of my team. Right. And this guy who's like an absolute legend who I just like was in awe of was talking to me as if I was someone worth listening to. And like, like I've obviously earned that because I'm there wearing the kit that he's a part right. of, he's a part of. And that you can't, that's not like something that, you know, that's like as good as a medal to me, like being like that, being treated like that by someone like that was like that was almost as good as winning a medal do you know what i mean uh, so like uh, yeah yeah that was i mean i've gone off at a real tangent there but like no i love high, it so much <laughs> some of those um some of those high highs that you get like by putting yourself through these things is just phenomenal but it it humanizes it and it shows it's you earn that right Right. You you earned that the right to walk up to somebody who's an absolute legend and and ask for that photo just to be in the room with the person. But then you earn that right by being on that team and, and for him to respect that and see that for for what it is to if you're wearing that kit, you've done the work. People will I feel like people will acknowledge individuals differently when they know that you've sacrificed just the same way that they have, there's a silent respect in certain things, right. In life. And, and that's one of those. It's, it's the same when you, when you're in the presence of, um, another military member who, you know, is just like, Oh, you're like the dude. And like, we can high five. Like, and when someone acknowledges you on the same level on in, in the way that, you've, you know, you've, you've strived to be a good person or you've done, you've done the right things or you've sacrificed or X, Y, and Z. When somebody takes the time to just be like, we're the same that I got to tell you for you, that must've been special in, in multiple ways. I mean, 
as an athlete to be acknowledged by another athlete like that. I mean, does that not just, do you not realize yet that you're just as cool as him? Like you're the same guy. You just, you're just not, you don't have the amount of medals yet. And I think that's coming because your mentality is there, man. I mean, I, I I won't be rowing for long enough to uh, win as many medals as he had, but I know, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It, there's just like, for me, that was the best thing about the Olympics as well. It's like, I found some parts of the Olympics really hard to deal with, like realizing that, um, like the Olympics is a very like corporate event. It's very, there's a lot of like, um, like this whole thing with like the way medalists are treated. There's a lot of brands that just want to be associated with the gold medalists. 100%. That's fair enough. Like they've earned those medalists have earned that right to be treated like that. Um, and, but I found that quite hard to deal with, especially when I was stood there without a medal. Um, yeah. And you know, that for me, that left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth about the Olympics as an event, but then, um, being a part of team GB, being a part of like, you know, for us, it's like you Steve Redgraves, you've got, um, like a, a whole load of like fantastic boxers, cyclists, like all these like sporting legends from, uh, you know, that, that have re- worn the same kit that I'm wearing and gone through the same journey that I've gone through. Um, and they like, you know, we had this, um, like after the closing ceremony in Rio, we had uh, like a few beers together under the tower in the village, uh, like all like just the Team GB guys all together had a few beers and we just we're there. We're all drunk too much. We're chatting a load of rubbish. And um, but, you know, like I'm, I was chatting to a boxer called Joe Joyce, who's now like up there as like one of the best heavyweight boxers in the world. And. It's just like, I remember that conversation. He's a really nice guy and I, I like really enjoy talking to him. And now there he is doing that cool thing. And it's like, there's like, there's almost like, I feel very proud to have been a part of the team with him. And it's, it's actually, I really liked that. Like, I really enjoyed that sort of, um, that like team accomplishment that came with being there. Um, that was like that for me is like what it became about like the olympics for me is about that team now like being a part of that those legends being like like i don't feel like i i I don't feel like i've earned the right to say i'm one of those legends but i've walked in the same shoes as them and that for me is like i'm so proud to have done that and that i like that for me is what it's all about it's special to hear you talk about that because those are the moments and the things that people don't understand uh, that come along with the responsibility of being on an Olympic team and also the weight behind it and and being on a team with individuals who who have been around longer and and have gotten to a different to a different level because you're always trying to you know strive and achieve and get to that level. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be a a gymnast standing beside like Simone Biles on team USA. Like, I mean, come on, like there's, there's a weight to that, but there's also a respect to that because you were in the same right to wear the same uniform and stand right beside that person. And you could be that person. You can be that person. 
Yeah, and and you've earned the right to stand like you know those gymnasts have earned the right to stand next to Simone Biles. Absolutely. And be one of her peers, and okay, she's like the goat, but at the same time, she's like they're her teammates, and they've earned that. And uh, yeah, and and the reality is, she's she's that right now, but. Yeah people change and evolution, things move and that's how it happens. And so when, when you're on that team, it's knowing that you've earned the right to be there and and that very well could be you and can be you. It's, it's not like I still have to get on the team and then maybe it could be me. It's like, no, I'm on the team. I'm here. See my face. I'm here. Exactly. And that's, that's fucking fantastic on its own, but you've got, so you're training for the next one. What does that look like? Um, so I, yeah, like I'm now like one of the older guys in the team. Um, so that, that's quite, that's like interesting. Uh, I really like it. I, I, I really like it. It's, I know for some guys that can be a, a tough thing. You know, people look up to them. Like there's these guys in the team who have joined me in the team now, these young, young guys. And, um, you know, some of them are like 10 years younger than me. And that's like, um they're like as good as me as athletes like you know their numbers that they put out they're as good as me some are some are better than me um but they're like because i've been around and done a lot there's like this um you know when i say things they like really listen and i really like it feels very it's that's really rewarding and actually like for me as a, as an individual athlete like one of my strengths i believe is that i can sort of put my finger on the things that need to be worked on and um actually the fact that like these guys these new young guys who are coming along are like listening to every word i say and they're like ready to do it um that gives me so much hope for this like third one that things are going to go quite well because it's like right we can we you know these guys are just like so moldable um we can turn these like these you know some of them are like absolute monsters and it's like we can turn them into like some real gold medal potential here this is like so exciting the only problem is is i'm going to make it really hard for myself to get selected for paris but yeah um, hopefully i can get some medals uh in the meantime if i even if i don't make the team then i don't like the way you're talking right now yeah i don't like the, the hope and if i'm like the when and when i do like i want that well, what you want, what you really want in a in a team sport like rowing is to be the last man in because then you know that everyone else is sick. Um, but it's so stressful, though. Oh, yeah, it's really stressful, but it's always stressful. <laughs> like, I, I mean, okay, we actually got outperformed, but, uh, but we were technically the top boat in Tokyo. And you just, like, that was hard because you have to, like, everyone's after you. Like, it's it's stressful whichever situation you're in. Well, yeah, I guess if you're at the top, people are always going to want to take you out. And when you're at the bottom, you're working your way up to the top. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Is And actually, in Rio, I was like one of the last men in the team. In Tokyo, I was like one of the first men in the team. And I, I actually found getting ready for Rio a lot less stressful. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, like, you know, I was the one with my... I had the target on everyone else's back and no one had one on me. Whereas in uh, Tokyo, everyone wanted my seat. I was fought, trying to fight everyone off. That was that was like, that was a lot harder, I think. Well, I mean, have they seen your calves? Just take you out <laughs> at the knees. Yeah, we know, know where the weak points are. One shin kick and I'm done for. 
It's over. You're not going to be the next McGregor. I'll tell you that. Not with those shins. Well, I am. I'm going to break my ankle as well. Yeah, just one of those. Oh, my God. Side tangent. Did you ever, did you watch that fight? Do you watch UFC? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I'm I'm quite a big fan. No, no, I did watch that. It was horrific. Yeah. Yeah. the replay made me want to die. That was horrible. I never want to watch that video again. That made me sick. Did you um, did you watch the fight uh, on Saturday? I read with Ngannou. I yeah. So obviously it's like on at three o'clock in the morning here. So I, oh, have, yeah. I have to like watch it all on repeat. Um, but yeah, I watched that, and I I, I love Francis Ngannou. He's probably one of my favorite for like it's between him or Israel Adesanya, who who are my favorite fighters. But okay. Um, I was like, I loved that. Uh, like the, I was expecting him to knock him out, and the fact that he got it on takedowns, I was just like, this guy's. He's just like, I, I really like how he's like growing. Is he looked like a sort of one trick pony mm-hmm. through a, through his like early part of his career, and then he's suddenly become this guy who can do loads of stuff, like really versatile. And I love that because it's like he's taken some losses, and he's like grown rapidly as a result um and those are the people who i respect the most like the people who kind of like sail through and just win everything i find them a little bit boring um it's the people who like can take a loss can get beaten a couple of times and then like really turn it around those are the ones who i'm like those are the people who i like really admire and they're they're the ones who can teach you more than anyone well and that's what's really nice and it's really um it's nice to see people grow and adapt and change and, and become, um, what's, what's the saying you're coachable, right? And when you can learn, you can, you can continue to be better. That fight was fantastic. I, uh, for sure thought it was going to be a knockout situation. And when I watched, um, when I watched the start of the fight, I'm, I wouldn't want to stand in front of that man, like not because of the size of me, but just the sheer power behind his knockouts. And then, and then the fight before, Oh, yeah. Oh, I was here for that. I was so there for that fight. I don't think the result was what I thought it was going to be. I don't think that, I yeah. don't think he won. Yeah. I like, the thing is, is I, I don't know enough about it to like be able to call those things. Like you sort of, for me, I just have like a kind of a feeling as to how it's going. And then, mm, um, okay. And like, I, cause I'm not, I, I don't know martial arts well. Um, okay. But I think when I'm done with rowing, I'd like to maybe take up like jujitsu or kickboxing yes. or something. Because I'd love to do a sport that I know I'm going to be really bad at, so I can improve like I used to improve back in the day. Like, I mean, I'm not recommending kickboxing with your legs, but I'm definitely going to go for more of the jujitsu, the long limb deal. Yeah. I feel like you've got advantage, and you've got you've got really strong upper body, so I feel like jujitsu might be more your speed. I mean, you've yeah. got good you, you punch, but I mean, with the chicken legs, it's kind of a it's a toss up, yeah. right? Maybe just boxing then. I mean, I'm here for boxing as well, but then again, you need your legs to really power. You need the power, the follow through. So yeah. we're just gonna have to work on your calves. Yeah, probably. Uh, that's just the tough fact of life, I guess. I guess we're just gonna uh, don't go get those calf implants. You know, people. Have you ever seen people do that? Oh my god! Don't do that. I'll don't just do that. I'll just train them. I'll just. I, Apparently that, you know, after years and years of effort, you might notice a difference, but I mean, you would think, but clearly you still have it. So, I mean, I've not tried that hard. 
to be honest. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I mean, then you need to put more effort in, sir. I don't, I don't really know other what's to tell you, but the, of what I do know of martial arts, which I did most of my life so that I don't, I don't claim to know how to score those very well, but there were some things in that fight that I definitely think that should have been, should have just, so, you know, like, uh, for example, controlling the fight is a really big part of like the way that they score things on aggression. So like the individual is constantly, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing it with my feet right now because I don't know how to not move my body while I'm trying to articulate something, but it's like, if you're standing in an open position and you're, you know, and the other person's in a closed position and that individual is constantly backing up and you're constantly pushing forward and you're kind of driving them around the ring. You're yeah. controlling the fight that right there, that gives points. And that's, he was the aggressor on almost every single, um, Oh, I can't remember his name. The Mexican individual, the champion there. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm spacing on his name right now. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 So I'm anyway. Saying, yeah. Oh no, no, I'll get it wrong. Yeah. I know. I'm going to, I know it's in my head. It's on the tip of my tongue, but he, um, you know, the, the way he controlled the rounds, he always took the fight to him. Like, those are things that I feel like maybe I didn't see as many points, um, the amount of points that they scored it. But I think in terms of that, and in terms of, uh, takedowns and and controlling the fight and just, I think, yeah, I think that was a wrong call. I don't know. I, my, that was my opinion. I could be very wrong on that, but it was very, I think the, um, Francis's fight, I think for sure was the right. I think that was the right call yeah. for sure. That was impressive. Like early on, I was like, uh, Cyril Gunn seemed to be a lot more active. Um, yes. But then, like, but like Francis never really backed down, which was good. But then, um, like late with those takedowns, when he started getting those takedowns, I was like, nah, he's got this. This is him. It was so impressive too, because I think without those, if they stayed on their feet, I think it would have been a different, could have been a different result just based on point system. Right. But I mean, having that size of a man run at you like a Mack truck, I mean, I'm just fall down. uh, What I really like about him is outside of the octagon. He's like a lovely bloke. I'd really like to meet him. He is like so likable, really Mm -hmm. like polite, very well-spoken um and then you when you see uh, there's a photo on his instagram of him it's like someone has taken it of him i think just before a fight starts and he's just stood there looking across the octagon at his opponent and i was like that is not the same person it's like you know why when you see that photo you know why he's called the predator and like i get scared just looking at the photo of it so imagine standing opposite him no Um, like and it's going to punch you in the face. He's getting paid to punch you in the face. Yeah. And he's really good at it. Oh, he's so good. At it. But I got to <laughs> say, yeah, his opponent that was, he was slipping a lot of those. That was, he was, yeah, he, was, he, was I, he was fast on his feet, which I didn't expect. He, he moved, he moved like a lightweight. Like he, yeah. he was quick. He bounced way more than I thought. I was, I mean, that was impressive. For a big guy, he is very slippery. Yeah, yeah. It it tripped me out when I when he was doing for his first takedown for how quick he moved in there. I didn't, I'd never seen that other guy fight before. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, wow. Now, well, this is gonna be interesting. And then the takedowns, I was impressed. But I um, yeah, that would suck. I guess you guys, I never, I forget about the time difference. I always just assume like I, again, being yeah. selfish here over here just you guys watch the fight no it's the middle of the night but it's also things like 
I would never like subscribe to the channels that show UFC because I can never watch it. Right. But then if, if, if I was like, like on Saturday, I was like, oh, I'd really like to watch this one. Um, it's really hard to like, just do like a box office or something and watch it. Yeah, yeah, like so. Most of the time, I have to wait until like well after the fight and then rewatch it on YouTube, which is like yeah. kind of annoying. It's annoying, but it saves so much money. Do you know how much money I spend on pay per view? True, but at the same time, like if you you know if you want to have like a few beers and watch the UFC, you're gonna pay, you, you're quite probably quite happy to pay that bit extra and watch it on your telly instead of like I'm I'm like watching it on my phone like a, a couple of mornings later when it's like oh I'm just having my morning coffee, I might as well catch up on that fight. It's just not the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's a different thing. Do they do, do they have UFCs? Do they bring them over to the UK much? I know they do them in like Dubai and stuff, but do they do any over yeah, there? Like not, I, not usually big ones, but there's like a UFC London and things like that. Um, like I, I, I can't remember. I don't know if there's been a title fight in, in um, the UK. Um, I don't know I either. wouldn't surprise me if like, if McGregor ever like manages to get himself back to a title fight, like surely something like that will happen in in like Ireland or something. He's thick right now. Yeah, he is. I like. He- I'm like. I don't know. Like, I, I'm a. I am a fan of his, and like for all his faults, and I think he's got a lot of faults. Like, I am a fan of his, and I would like to see him back at his prime. Uh, I don't know whether we'll see it. Like. There's a part of me that thinks that Khabib broke him. And I mean, doesn't doesn't Khabib break everything he touches? Well, that's the thing is, I I, I just think like like he was so invested in that like emotionally yeah. invested in that fight, and then he got like not just beaten, but he just got thumped. And yeah, it was like um, he got smothered like a bear does to a a think it's going to eat like he it was so quick and it was so it was so intense but I think I think a little bit too I mean I think he checked out when he did the Floyd Mayweather fight I mean I think you train for something and you're so focused on something else for so long you know coming back from that is a different thing yeah and he also like I, I like I do think with combat sports like being undefeated is quite a powerful thing Mm-hmm. And like that's what makes me admire the guys who do come back from defeat. And because I do think like losing a rowing race is like, oh, that's a shame. Um, like losing a fight is like you're stood in front of a crowd of people just getting battered by someone else. They're like imposing their will on you. And it's like you're such a victim there that <laughs> coming coming back from that has got to be so hard. And that's up that's yeah. what that's what fascinates me about combat sports is like the the amount of confidence these guys have and how like massive it can be like how massive that break can be if if it is shattered do you know what i mean well look at ronda rousey yeah yeah she like she was never the same again she was like unbeatable and then suddenly like Holly Holmes out. kicked her upside the face and she learned really quick how unbeatable she was that. I mean, she held uh, an impressive record for a very long time. And again, like so glad I stopped fighting when I did, because I definitely would have been that person who was like, I'll transition into the UFC. They, I think the UFC started, I think the year I stopped fighting or close to one of my last fights. And I was like, nah, I don't like getting kicked in the face anymore. I'm not here for it. 
And now I look at these women just like Ronda Rousey comes and she just starts her some of her first fights before they were arm bars when she would just be smashing chicks in the face. I'm sitting there going, no, I want no like. (laughs) And then when Holly Holmes came in, she was very unassuming in the way that she adapted. You know, she came into that fight and watching that was like the upset of upsets. It was like watching Connor get smashed the first time, you know, it was a weird thing. And it was this, this moment where it was either going to make or break a fighter. And psychologically you watched it happen. Yeah. Go the opposite for both. Um, and, but now you've got it laid the same with like the roses last, uh, not the last fight, the ones she won the belt at originally. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. The way that fight went, to be, um, I'm spacing on everyone's names right now, to be her opponent and then come back and fight her again and then get rocked again. Yeah, yeah. And to get rocked again. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I could come back from that. I would be devastated. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. I mean, I love that stuff. I, I, I say, I'm quite sad that the, the rowing UFC crossover is not there. It's not there? Not there. Like... <laughs> I'd be able to like if if they made a ten round fight, like rowers might stand a chance, but even then, we just wouldn't make it out the first round. Still, we're right. just too we're so slow and cumbersome. We would just never like that's I yeah that's what that's also why that's what I want to do after. Well, I don't want to. I probably won't fight or anything, but just do a, like just for the for training's purposes to stay yeah. in shape and stuff. Do something like that because. Actually, you could uh, like I will be so bad that actually being able to like learn a new skill like that is something that where you are you know if you're like even sparring you're you're you are under some pressure to like produce a performance and it will be a quite a good way of having that but in a in a completely different environment. Yeah, you're gonna get choked out a lot. Yeah, I know. I gotta get battered. <laughs> Dude, you're gonna have so many sweaty dudes just on your face going, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Yeah. Like can't it's, wait. <laughs> it's you're like, I can't wait. It sounds fantastic. You're really selling it here for me. Yeah. I mean, it's that or it's a striking sport, but striking sports, I mean the head damage. I don't, I don't recommend. I just say go, go jujitsu. Don't don't start getting boxed in the face and kicked in the face. Don't go to taekwondo. Go go the route that's that's useful if a dude grabs you in an alley you know like taekwondo and i aren't going to be like super bros if somebody grabs me in an alley i'm going to try to kick you but it really is dependent on my shoe attire that day as how effective i will actually be but if you learn jujitsu and someone grabs you you just you can handle that and i mean you're a bigger dude how tall are you uh like just shy of six four yeah i mean that's like that's a foot and a half taller than me (laughs) That's ridiculous. I'm not even that oh. big in the team. There's like one of my teammates is like six, nine, something like that. So riddle me this. Why is it that the generation coming up when they're in high school, they all look like grown men? Yeah. I don't get it either. I don't I understand. I reckon it's just that like people evolve, don't they? Like every, every generation is just a little bit more like, big and advanced than their previous generation you know 
I feel like some are, unless it depends on the country you're speaking of. It's like North Korea, they're just getting smaller because there's less food. So they're just getting tinier. And then you come to Canada and people are like, we're trying to be fit. Then you go to the US and we're like, we're 70% populations overweight. So, I mean, it's really, it's like hormones and food and the way we develop things and how we, how we treat um, our bodies and what we put in them obviously is going to affect and um our genetics moving forward and things like that, because even, even my son, my husband and I are not tall people and he is weirdly thick and tall. Like, right. Oh, he's going to be, he's going to be a big boy. <laughs> like, like he's not overweight. Like he's, he's been in a gym since he's been born, but he, I'm not kidding like a lot. And he has his own dumbbells. Anyway, I digress. My point is he's a weirdly big, like strong kid. And we got him into jujitsu because all he wants to do is fight right now. Yeah. So, mommy, you want to go? So I will put you in an arm bar. Let's go, mommy. Like in a restaurant, yeah, like in yeah. a restaurant in Whistler when they're waiting to see their tables. So, so there you are putting your son in a crag cold. He it's needs like- it. This is, hey, on a regular basis, it happens. If you mess yeah. with fire, kid, you're going to get burned. You're going to learn. Look, people say you shouldn't hit your kids, but no one says you shouldn't choke them out. Exactly. See, I agree with that statement. I posted a photo once yeah. and my, my son was three and my husband had him in a full on just legs over his and ah, tap, tap, tap. And he's I tap. And um, I posted that and there were some mixed reviews for sure. There were some yeah. mixed reviews for sure. And I said, listen, when, when somebody tries to steal him or ever goes that route, at least I know my kid's going to be able to defend himself or try to, he's not going to be a little mush ball. At least I know I put some effort into it. Yeah, I, I do. A part of me thinks like, I, I think a part of the reason why I was like some kind of really unsporty, like to play PlayStation fat kid was a part of it was because like you don't learn to assert yourself, you know, you sort of, um, you know, I, I like, I've, I've never done like combat sport. I've, I, you know, I, I sort of toyed with the idea of doing judo as a kid and uh, like kind of wussed out before I could go in and do it. Uh, Cause you know, it's like, I saw people like lobbing other people around and I was like, Oh no, that's scary. And actually like i really regret not doing that because you know you get like kids get bullied so badly at school like kids and kids are just such little shits to other kids and i just had it happen this morning yeah and and actually like i would love my kids to just like learn judo or karate or something and just you know like that's what like three-year-olds do you know over here it's quite common and actually like a kid being able to stick up for themselves is like a really good thing i think it's, it's, it's imperative now and it's almost necessary. I mean, this morning my son was standing in line at school and a kid punched him in the face right in front of me, in front of the teacher. And, um, the teacher said nothing. And so I promptly yelled at the child to get his hands off my son. And we've given him permission because there's been situations where he goes, Hey mom, I told the teacher, like I was supposed to, and, and it happened again. And then it happened again and then it happened again and again. And at what point do we, do we leave, you know, our kids to, um, to defend themselves? Why do we leave them defenseless? I mean, most of the time, if I look at, 
Well, look at Khabib. Perfect example. Didn't he grow up wrestling bears? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's worse things than than learning how to defend yourself against another child. Maybe don't use a grizzly bear as a tactic, but I think there's better ways to do it, but I think we should be doing it. And I think kids should feel safe. And if we continue... If we continue down this road, the way people are raising children, I'm genuinely and very, I'm genuinely very, very, very concerned about children's ability to handle stressful situations and difficult situations. The past couple of years have been hard enough on grown adults. I mean, you kids. look at, you look at um, I, I think Khabib's a really good example. Like he's been fighting since he was a, like basically since he was born. Right. Um, you come from a part of the world where that's just like that's what is done. You you fight, and it's like that's it. Like that's that that's mm-hmm. what they do in Dagestan. Like that's like, and he's just like he's also like incredibly respectful of his like yes. traditions and his like you know like his mum has told him she doesn't want him to fight, and so he's not. And it's like you don't get that in like like. You know, I I feel like I respect my parents a lot, but if my mum my mum doesn't really tell me much, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, you know, she like she wouldn't try and, you know, if she tried to tell me how I should be living my life, we'd probably you know have an argument. Whereas like, there's a guy who's been fighting his entire life, who's like one of the toughest men on the planet, and he's just like, mum told me to, so that is what I shall do. So like actually be that like sort of demonizing that those those sort of like aggressive activities doesn't seem that doesn't seem to make much sense to me do you know what i mean it's like actually learning control being able to control it is so much more important and actually a lot of things like martial arts do teach that and that's the most important part of it yeah And, and and that's um you know like throughout my sporting career learning to control my emotions has been like such a big part of my performance uh and like you know I never learned that as a kid because I never did stuff like that and actually it's it's been more it's been a real challenge to sort of do that and it's one I've had to take on but that's that's been you know that's been a big part of learning to perform it's been able to control your emotions and that's what martial arts essentially is all about and controlling your emotions, that that tool is is so valuable in in every aspect of life. I mean, the the discipline side. I started when I was four, and the discipline side. I was more afraid of doing something wrong in school, knowing that it wouldn't be my parents I'd be dealing with. It would be my coaches I'd be dealing with, and that that shook me to my core i would dare not step out of line because i know what the repercussions would have been and there's uh something to be said about the the self discipline it gives you the self confidence it gives you and those are all tools that we don't teach anymore unless you involve yourself in a martial art or sport along those lines and it's a uh, it's a, it's a sad thing because it's so underutilized and children can benefit from it later on in life and throughout. And it gives them resiliency and abilities to handle things that we're throwing at them now, like the cyberbullying, the, you know, people always, always having something to say about something about everyone. There's, 
there's no resiliency with our children. And that's why we're seeing such a struggle happen as they grow up in this new, this new technological age. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you'll get it when you have kids, you get it now as an adult, but you'll get it one day. And then you'll be like, I remember when the hat lady was telling me the things. Yeah. Yeah. It's true though. What's that? All the life lessons. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm horrible for unsolicited advice. I'm one of those people. Very welcome. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm glad. Um, so what is the, so what's the plan? How do we, how do we start training? What's, what's going on? I say weeks now I'm invested in your success in this Olympics. So you're screwed. So how, how do we get you to where you need to be? What's the next steps here? Well, so like I'm back in training now. So I've been, you know, okay. I've been training today. Like we, we have a national training center, um, down the road, uh, like 10 minutes away from where I live. Um, Perfect. and you know, we're back at it now. Like, um, we've had some assessments already. Like I was really unfit cause I just had a really nice long holiday from the Olympics. Um, and well, I say unfit, I've done all the running, but it turns out that running did my rowing no favors, um, oh. which is a shame cause I did a lot of it and I was hoping it might help, but it didn't. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I mean, I'm just like, we're just in it and it, every day, like I've not, don't think I've had a day off since well this month I don't I haven't had a day off this month yet um which is quite sad because I, I could really do with one but um uh, and you're yeah, doing no, this it, yeah exactly I mean we, it rowing is just like one of those sports we get like 10 days off at well seven to ten days off at Christmas and three weeks off in the summer and that's it basically um mm. and uh yeah I mean like after the Olympics, you get a bit longer, but, um, you know, we, we lost a year because of the pandemic. And so this next Olympiad is three years. So we can't hang around. We've got to put our foot to the floor already. Um, but like, yeah, so yeah, I'm back at it. Just trying to make, get myself in shape. Like now's a time, which is all about working on our own stuff. Um, you know, like we're not in, we're not like selecting boats yet. I mean, we're doing bits to like be selected, you know, with they're gathering information on us now all, all the time. Um, but now is just about like making ourselves the best athletes we can. So come selection time, we're in the seats and then we look, start making those things move towards the championships. But that, that doesn't happen till like April time for us. Okay. So you got a little bit of time there. You got a little breathing room to, to keep your writing going. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's like, I mean, I, I do that around rowing anyway. So like the reason I like I've got into this stuff is because um, working with Kevin, um, he would like what he would get me to do is if I had um, I, and this is an exercise I'd recommend to anyone, really, like if I had any sort of significant event, um, I'd write about it and, you know, write, And I'd write it in as like descriptive as I could possibly be. Mm-hmm. like exactly what I was feeling any like even the most stupid thoughts um you know be as like deep and descriptive as I could possibly be and it was he you know his idea to be like oh have you ever thought about writing properly um but that for me is like such a good exercise anyway because it helps you to like make sense of what you're actually thinking Exactly. But like when you when you when you turn your like these you have these sort of 
emotions and these thoughts which aren't really words they're like sort of this like gas that floats around in your head that isn't like you haven't really made sense of and then you turn it into like hard cold words on a page um that like really helps process that stuff um so i yeah i'm doing that around like the rowing anyway like when you know I mean, I, I do obviously have to like really unwind after a day's training because it is quite full on. You know, I, I get to training at like 7.30 and I get home sometimes as late as five o'clock. Um, and, you know, like obviously then you've got to make dinner and stuff. So I, sometimes I, all, I've, all I've got the energy to do is like sit on the sofa or at best like play PlayStation with the boys, you know. Um, yeah. It's It's writing you know it's not every day i do it but like sometimes you have a half day and then it will be like oh i might just like talk about what i've done this week and send it off to kevin and see what he has to say about it Um, well that's it's it's good not only for your mental health right i mean journaling is something that is like it's so useful for so many people there's something about like you said seeing it on paper and then and obviously there's the, the balance, you can't, you can't be, you know, doing that 24 seven, having to just take a break and take a moment and, and maybe just sit still is okay too. Right. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, another, another Canadian I'm a fan of is, um, old Jordan Peterson. It's like, yeah. he, um, he always says like the being able to write is like such a, you, you have no idea what a skill it is until you're like doing it. And yeah it is like really um there's so much truth in that which you you like you know you kind of you have all these things that just get like left in your mind that you can't you know it's it's always worth getting them out and onto a page because it is a honestly it, it like does um clear things up so well it's like someone's gone into your brain and like had a tidy up because you've mm-hmm. just like put everything down on that page and that's where it is now that's honestly, it's been one of the most universal, uh, easily accessible things for individuals to do that isn't, you know, having to put up money for a therapist and those types of things. Like if there's the minimum things you can do, it's moving your body, drinking water, eating healthy food and journaling. I, I have these everywhere. I have, <laughs> yeah. I have like a little in my back pocket because it's the idea of being able to just get it out sometimes is yeah. half of the battle. I haven't had the privilege of talking with Jordan Peterson. I have talked with his daughter, Michaela, and um, her and I have had conversations about like the importance of writing. It's it's funny because some people say, you know, I, I, I'm not interesting or I, I don't know how to do it. And it the, the thing I, I hear so many people say, and then I had to do the same was just start just start. It doesn't matter what, doesn't matter how you formulate. It doesn't be a format, but just start because when you start the second you feel relief, it is such a special moment because it, it doesn't take much, right? It doesn't take much to put down on paper. It just takes five minutes sometimes. And you just, yeah. it's amazing. like are those, these like little things that you can do that make such a massive difference to like your mental health. Yes. Um, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm all about the cold showers as well. Oh and, yeah, the yes. Oh, I like and, you. You're getting it. You're you know what's up. And I, like I, I've I've only started doing this regularly recently, um, but it's it's like this. It's almost like your body reads it as like a threat in the morning. It's almost like you think your your body's going. Oh, I'm submerged in cold water. I might die. 
Mm-hmm. And then you get out of this well, this cold shower and you 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 then realize like everything just seems to fit into context that little bit better than it would have done otherwise. Those those like stupid little things that would have wound you up mm-hmm. are go back to being those stupid little things. Like they're, they're insignificant. Not, yeah. And the days I don't have one, like if it's like, oh, I'm running late, so I can't have one this morning, those days are like noticeably more like gray and vague in terms of like really? how I read things yeah so I like I I read I, I randomly read on like Instagram somewhere that, that you should do like a minimum of three minutes up to six minutes and that's like the best time to do so that's what I do and like th- there's very little like I've not read into it enough to be like completely like certain of the science but I've read bits and bobs and um but no i i notice a i notice like a real difference in terms of like my clarity of thought my ability to process things that can be stressful um i like i do i do believe that there's like a real like especially for me and my sport like how you interpret things and how you react to things has a real performance impact and for me that this this is one thing where i'm like no i'm going to keep this because i think it does it is a performance advantage mm-hmm. i think um well even if it- yeah cuz even the science behind it you know there's even if I, I always i always try to think of it like if it's benefiting me and i know it's i know it's affecting me in a positive manner even if i haven't read all of the science that you know, that that's one side to it, to have a, you know, not just anecdotal evidence, but if, if I've done something and I know it makes a positive impact on me, then that's all I need to know. Right. If I, for whatever reason, as long as it's a healthy, you know, positive thing, I'm not saying like, go do like crazy drugs. Yeah. You know, it makes me feel great. Cause that makes whatever, but I'm talking about like, if the cold shower works for you and it's anecdotal to you and you know, it's beneficial for how you develop thought during the day, then then run with it. Well, also on stuff like this, like let's say it is placebo. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's all in your head, and like, how much of how much of how we deal with the world is down to how we see things anyway? So if it it might be placebo, fully placebo, but at the same time, if I'm like a lot more, if I'm a lot more switched on when I'm training. I'm like interpreting things in the right way. I'm acting on things in the right way as a result of that placebo. Well, then it's not really a placebo, is it? It's having an actual effect. So exactly, it doesn't really matter. Like people, it, like obviously, there's a bit of like a uh, when you talk about placebo, you, you kind of go like, oh, there's that's not a real thing. But mm-hmm. actually, that's not really how it works. It's just that there's not a you know, it's your interpretation of it. It's not actually like you know, something else. Um, yeah. Well, it, it still does something. And well, and we're seeing that with so many different things, right? We're seeing that with, you know, the cold therapy, sauna therapy, we're seeing that with psychedelic use where we're just now getting gathering the data behind it to kind of back up how everyone's been saying and what they've been feeling. And it's a, it's a really beautiful thing to see it happen. Have you, have you tried floating? Oh Yeah. Yeah, I'm that that's I don't I don't float as much as I would like to. Like I I've I've not done it in quite a while. But that that's another thing. Like mm-hmm. if I was like a multimillionaire, I would buy a little pod for my for my house. 
So we, we're going to try that again. When I'm a multimillionaire, I'm going to put a pot in my house. Do I have to talk to you about how we talk about ourselves and psychology and affects things? Well, I also we've we've discussed British understatement and uh, also rowing. Rowing is not a well-paid sport. Yeah, like, but gonna... you're a great dude, and you've got positive initiatives in the world. You're going to be more than rowing. This is well, just the start. Well, fingers crossed. I, I need to work out what that is first, but that's yeah. okay. We'll figure something out. You get there. Yeah, there's always a way. Like I said, you, you, you just started rowing was just the, was just the, the foot in the door to, to even bigger and bigger things. Once you win the gold, then you're going to be the guy. And then everyone's going to want to talk to the guy. Then the guy writes a book Then the guy has a series about him. Then the guy has his own workout programs. Then the guy, do you get where I'm going here, man? Be the guy that you know, you can be. Yeah. The only problem here is like, especially with rowing. Is there's a lot of gold medalists who are the, the guy. Yes, there's a bit of a move over here. Yeah, or maybe uh, there's a few. There's, in, there's quite a few in Canada as well. To be fair, uh, I know I have. Um, so we do this. Uh, I mean, I'm not a professional rower or anything, but a friend of mine who was a British uh, Royal Marine, um, really awesome dude. He had this idea to do this 24 hour rowathon for charity, and then he came to me and was like you want to do this with us? And I was like, yeah. So then Brass and Unity started to sponsor it. And um, we've done it now a couple of years in a row where we row on rowing machines for 24 hours on November 11th um, for Veterans and Remembrance Day. And then we donate the money. And so I had um, the chance to do it, uh, the event. We, we held it somewhere here um, locally this year. And we had an Olympic gold, um, Lisa Roman from Canada. She came, she won gold uh, the last Olympics and yeah. she came in and rode with us. Tokyo, and, in the uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, she lives down the street and so she's coming in soon to come on and um, I rode beside her and I was like, I hate myself. Yeah. Your technique is so on point. Her wattage was insane. I looked at her after, I was like, can I just, can I just touch your metal? Like, can we just touch it? You know what I mean? Like you're, you'll be the guy. And that, even you know, if that, that, sorry, that feeling, no, you know, when you saw the medal, did you see, a, have you seen a medal? Yeah. Yeah. That never goes away. Like that when you were like, oh, wow, look at that. Like Karen, my girlfriend who has a silver one from Rio, every time that thing comes out, I'm always a bit like, there it is. There it is. <laughs> like, honestly, that never goes away. No, and I and I don't think it should. There's, uh, you know, national medals are one thing, world's medals are another thing, and then there's the Olympic medal. And and I and I'm, you know, that's something I admire in people so much. That was a path I wanted to go. That was the goal when I was a child. Was the rings, get being able to go to get the ring tattoo, right? That was the thing. Like, I wanted that, and to see people do it, and to to meet them and talk with them, and and just get to experience a part of that. It's, yeah. I understand the work that goes into that and I admire it and I appreciate it. And I recognize the hell out of it because that is being an athlete, professional athlete. I was, I'm married to one that is, it's not for the faint of heart. It is, it is so taxing psychologically, um, physically, um, to everyone around you. It's a, it's, it's a, 
it's a way of life that only few ever get to see, touch and feel. And it's something special that people should, in my opinion, maybe I've got mixed reviews on how I feel about the Olympics, the, the, the system itself now, not so much the, the events, because uh, again, if you, if you said you could go attempt, I'd be like, I'm not in shape, but goddamn no, I'll try because it's the Olympics. It's the Olympics. It's the pinnacle, man. Um, my feelings around the Olympics are always mixed due to the fact that individuals are paid less than most individuals who work, you know, and I, and I think it's, that's, I struggle with that because I believe there's, um, if we invested in things like that, that would give younger people a real attainable goal to have a real career. Yeah. And that, that, that is that there is like a, a challenge in that, in that as well. And yeah. I've had this conversation recently because like, you know, like I, I think our hourly rate that the amount we train our hourly rate works for some people anyway, like um, works out at less than minimum wage. Uh, and obviously we're like in well this is in i'm speaking obviously in our team um works out at less than minimum wage now obviously there's like other bits that come with that like you know we we don't have to pay tax on our grants and things like that and so it kind of works out but it's still like it's not very much like you're not going to make millions you're not going to really save much um you know if you're if you're going to like do well for yourself financially you're going to do it outside of your sport right Uh, exactly and at the same time as like not being paid very much you've got to that that, so kevin um has some friends who are involved with the special forces in the uk and um there's a saying in the sas that no one gets selected for the sas who isn't an sas soldier and he's like he sort of turned that around to rowing was like no one wins the olympics who isn't an olympic champion and so you've got to sit on the start line of a of an olympics and be like i am the best in the world you've got to sit there and know that you're like no you can't just like think it you have to like know it you're the best in the world you have to value yourself so highly that you think you are the best in the world at something and at the same time like you have you know, someone that's decided that, like, obviously, I'm not saying we should be paid millions because essentially I'm just hanging out with the boys and doing sport. Like, it's it's a lovely lifestyle, and I do, I really enjoy every all of it. But when I'm sat on the start line of an Olympic final and someone's telling me I should be the best in the world, but I'm also being paid minimum wage, it's like, yeah. and I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't want to like sit here and complain because I do feel very grateful for being able to do it. it that's quite an interesting challenge. It's quite a, you know, like there are some guys who are like, who really struggle uh, with, you know, that. And, uh, you know, there's like guys who are like legitimate role models who struggle, really struggle financially. And, yeah, it shouldn't you know, be that way. They're trying to be the best in the world. And those two things just don't line up like, you know, you've got to value yourself as, you know, you, you, to be the best, you have to like, know you're the best in the world and you have to feel like you are the best in the world, like all the way down to your core. And if someone else doesn't quite value you that highly, it is going to be really hard to value yourself. Um, and yeah, like that isn't, that's an interesting dilemma to, to navigate because like 
you know, our teams can't afford to pay us more. And exactly. Like, it's it's tough. Like it's tough for them as well because that, I'm sure so, I'm sure they're aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what the answer is there. Like. I don't know either. I just think there needs to be a reevaluation. I mean, if you've got, you've got people who can go and make millions of dollars for smashing their heads into other people's heads for football. I mean, I think we should look at sport a little differently. Um, you, you know, you pay some of these people and, and the variation that the it's, it's all about the sport and it's about the sponsor and the money that's in the sport. So you look at European football and those yeah. guys are paid like banana nana money, like as, yeah. and then you go over here and you come to Canada and you look at say like Canadian Olympic rowing. <laughs> I, I mean the effort is the same across the board. It's a professional athlete. It's just I think it's certain things are valued more than others. I think yeah. certain professional sports are valued the female over male more than others. I think, and that's and I'm not even talking about like the equal pay. I'm talking about equal effort equals equal pay. So like if the NFL can pay this and we know how much the Olympics are bringing in for just advertisement in general, just off the backs of the people that are actually only getting paid minimum wage, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's just my personal opinion. (laughs) I mean, if I could, if, if me rowing could sell out an 80,000 seater stadium at like, once or twice a week, then I imagine I would get paid a hell of a lot more. Hey, there, market there is, yourself better then, right? There, yeah, there is that. Like, like making sport, these sports that are like quite niche, making them more like known. accessible and yeah, known and marketable and exciting. Like, um, maybe there's a way to do that. Maybe that's the problem though. Maybe that's the problem with sports like rowing. It's like, yeah, they're, they're kind of cool when you watch them alongside 50 other sport or however many other sports it is at the Olympics. Um, but actually on its own, like, can you sell out a stadium to watch a rowing race? Like, no. Um, so it's hard. It is hard to justify. And there's a, there's like a truth to that, like a purity that actually mm-hmm. the sports that are the most entertaining are the ones where they make a fortune. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't, it's just a shame that, that like some of those sports are like aren't full of the same role models that I sort of meet along the way in the Olympics. Yeah. Like, like the people, like the the, the athletes I, who I admire the most, a lot of them aren't that well or aren't really well known at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously you have your like famous sporting heroes like Muhammad Ali and people like that. Like he's probably my my sort of ultimate sporting idol. But um, I get what you're you know, saying. Yeah, like yeah, you know what I mean. It's like I don't know. I, a part of me like doesn't like it. Another part of me actually thinks it's completely fair. I know it's a, it's a hard thing to look at because you look at things like like the UFC. You look at you know they get paid good money. You look at you look at even things those, like even those guys though. Like you see, like Francis got paid. Uh, Francis and Garni got paid like I think it was six hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And he's obviously the best in the world. Uh, like he's the the he is the literally the baddest man on the planet. Like right. in a no rules fight, he is the he is the number one. And then you've got like some like I don't know, barely top ten boxer who will get paid like five times as much for a fight. 
Um, yeah, that, and that's kind of weird. There's, I think, there's the the myth, the missing link to look at. There is the um, the profile of the person, and I think now it is it's strictly on that individual to make themselves marketable enough to sell more tickets. I mean, there is uh, plenty of. Like, I mean, look at the way Connor did it with the UFC, for example. If he wasn't that guy, if he didn't act that way, do you think he would have been getting on the ticket the way he was and getting the things he was getting? It's about how you choose. It's, it's, it's twofold. You can choose to be the, 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 you can choose to be the badass who's the most terrifying human in the world and be real quiet on social media and real quiet in life. And you can do things that way. And that is more than fine. Or you can see it for the opportunity is and go, oh, I'm going to smash this out of the park and I'm going to hit it every which way I possibly can and hit the opportunity as hard as possible. And that comes with a different type of social media and a different type of response. And But that, look at the difference, 600,000 versus uh, Conor McGregor's fight with Floyd Mayweather's 100 million. Yeah, something like that. But but then again, look at Conor McGregor was like, absolutely like same public profile absolutely dominant before the floyd fight in the ufc yeah absolutely goes to flight the same connor makes like a hundred times as much going to fight floyd mayweather and that 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 for me is like well he's the same guy doing pretty much the same thing um Mm -hmm. and then and you know this this probably the same audience and like he do so much better because he, while in between taking over the UFC and taking over and going into boxing in that time frame, he started a whiskey company. He did X, Y, and Z. He invested into this. He went over to here. You need to like, it's, if you're not constantly finding an angle into something that you could be doing to keep benefiting yourself by the time that fight came around, same people are watching, same people are paying for it. But now they're watching him take a step into an unknown. And while they've been doing it, his face has been thrown in their face over that time frame, over all different types of things. So people are willing to pay for him, right? It's what you put into it too. And it depends on the type of person you want to be known as and what you want to be known for. He wasn't like the guy who's like, I want to be known for mental health and making sure I better better people. He's like, I'm going to throw a chair at your bus, threaten your family's lives. Like there's a different type of dynamic with that. And I think, yes, it seems like the, the good guys or the people doing things for good reasons, maybe during that time, weren't going to get the same amount of attention as people who now are taking the initiative, being more vulnerable, coming out and saying, hey, I'm struggling with, I'm doing this and I want to better the world X, Y, and Z throughout this way. That's being acknowledged in a different fashion than it's ever been acknowledged. So it's, you've got an opportunity here is what I'm saying here. Yeah, no, I get you. I understand. Yeah. So I think it's different, but I definitely think in my opinion, athletes, you know, I don't know that a hundred million dollars worth of contract is a, you know, a good balance. I, but I also know that $50,000 and $60,000 for somebody who is busting their ass for four years to represent your country is, and living kind of on the poverty line is not uh, any way to treat. It's no different than the way we treat our first responders and our military and our like police. It's you pay the, <laughs> you're getting 40 million to throw a football. You're getting $30,000 to kick down a door and possibly get shot in the face. I mean, it's just very, it's, it's weird yeah. how, how society, um, values human beings. Isn't it strange? Yeah, very true. 
I know I just tangented you again. I feel like we do that now. We're on that page of just, we're just going to go there. Disappear down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I'm sorry in advance. No, that's fine. Oh, okay, cool. Um, okay. So then you're going to start training, you're writing, you're doing your thing and the Olympics. Do you have a day count until the Olympics or how, like, how are you, how, like, how ready are you now? Or does that take longer when you get closer? Do you start feeling the ramp up? I'm in trouble if they were to say, if they said it was tomorrow, I'd be in real trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, I'm like 10 kilos overweight and not quite fit yet. Oh, come on now. Well, you know, like uh, to be fair, there's like method to that madness. Like it's okay. what I, in the, in like the winter, I try and be heavy because we do so much training that, um, you know, you, you need to like pack in the calories to make sure yeah. you stay healthy. And actually, like last year, I tried to stay a bit lighter to make sure I was like really lean for Tokyo. And I think that actually cost me a little bit in terms of like um, the wattage I could generate, like how much power I could. I like maybe didn't improve as much as I could have done because I like wasn't as like fully recovered at all times. Uh, um, okay. And like the thing is, is when you have like winter assessments, you can't get too fat because you like, um, you kind of have to perform. And if you, you know, rowing is sort of a power to weight sport, you know, you do have to move that weight. And so, you know, you, you do take a risk if you, if you are a bit heavy. Um, but at the same time, like if you want to get really strong, you kind of need that a little bit. Uh, so it's like quite a fine balance, but so, yeah, I'm I'm like I'm big and heavy at the moment, and so uh, I'm not ready yet. But like that, I I did wouldn't want to feel that way now because if I did feel that way now, by the time that came the Olympics comes around, I wouldn't be anymore. Like I'd be cooked, be exhausted. So, yeah, exactly. Like it's really I think it's important to like keep everything in context, put everything where it is um and not let yourself get like you know if i was to sit here now and just be thinking about the olympic final i'd be i'd just be fried before i you know got to april never mind to the olympics no that's wild and where where's the summer where are they now this coming up uh paris? so uh yeah paris is the next olympics um this year's world championships is in the czech republic in a charming place called Ricci Ricci, i think it's pronounced Okay. Um, like some like it's almost like some industrial center in the Czech Republic fantastic like, there's not a lot going on there I wouldn't if you're a spectator don't go there I'd say yeah, go to like not ideal we race in Switzerland uh, like once a year in a place called Lucerne if you're going to go anywhere go there that's the, like the most beautiful place ever so then what you're saying is I should have just held the podcast and been like I'll do the podcast in Switzerland yeah maybe that would work I mean, but to be fair, I imagine Paris is going to be a good one. I mean, I might have to come just to watch. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. Rio was incredible, but, like, Rio's, like, a, it's not the safest city. Like, it is. Yeah. It's a bit ropey at places. You know, like, Tokyo was would have been incredible, but we weren't allowed to see any of it. We just went in, raced, and left. Right. Uh, so that was kind of, like, a shame. Whereas I think Paris will actually be kind of awesome. Yeah, Paris is fantastic. We did um we did a charity bike ride um on the 75th anniversary of D-Day. We did um with Wounded Warriors Canada, we rode 600 kilometers. I think it was just shy of 600 kilometers on road bikes. 
yeah. for uh, charity. We went through France. That was an interesting, I've never, never got to see that side of France before. It was a pretty spectacular place, but I know my God, Paris is going to be, and hopefully by then every, everybody's got their shit together or world War three hasn't started, but Hey, I'll keep rooting for it, man. I'll keep hoping that Paris is going to come out solid. It might be like lockdown 10 by then or something like that. Oh, well, whatever. I mean, I'll still come and hang out. I still think it would be worth coming to watch. I'm kind of super into, I, I love rowing. I think it's really fascinating. And I think it's a, it's a great way to just stay fit. It's a great thing for mental health. I mean, the Invictus games, uh, they do rowing it as an event. And I think there's a reason for it. It's, it's an individualized thing. It's also a team thing. It's, it's all encompassing and it takes a, it takes a good person with a head on their shoulders, somebody who's dedicated and somebody who really, really has heart and drive to row and to row on a team because you know as much as anybody else who's been on a team sport, like you don't want to be the weak, weak link in, in any way, shape or form. Not exactly. Well, I'm, uh, I'm so glad that we got to chat with you because I, uh, I'm excited to see, I'm excited to follow the next little bit of your career and harass you incessantly about your uh, calves and hope that when the Olympics rolls around and I see those things walk around, I don't have to say, I, you know, I thought we talked about this. Yeah. Like, I, I, I hate to say it, but I reckon you might, I might, I, they'll probably, you don't need calves for rowing. So uh, I can't. they're probably not going to change. But you need them for life and for shorts. Yeah. I just take the shame, you know. <laughs> I'm just like I've got I've got like nice arms and a big back I'll, I'll no one will look at my arms it'll be I'll be all right good so then I will make sure to always remind you now you're gonna be like I really wish really wish I didn't know about the calves I'm really regretting telling her this immediately and now everyone else will know about the calves so now there'll be calf memes and it's I'm no, excited it's no secret it's, it's no secret yeah, we wear we wear like lycra shorts. I know. Thing. You'll see the calves. Like if, if I make the medal pontoon, you'll, they'll be there in all their glory. Oh. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it, that. Yeah, like I'm I'm at peace with it. It'll be okay. I'm at peace with it. You're like great. One more thing for me to stress about. Exactly. I love it, uh, dude. I'm so glad that you came on. I'm so glad that we could get this to work and with the time zone change and everything. And I know the um the amount of value you'll bring uh, people just hearing you and the way you are. And like you said, it's not, it's really not always about the athletes that are getting paid the $40 million that are making a positive change in the world. Sometimes it's about the athletes on the come up that are about to win gold that people just need to hear their story a little bit. Yeah. It's also like, it's also the people that like put it all on the line and don't get anywhere at all. Like, yeah. I don't know, like for me, those people, th those people are every bit as much of a hero as the people who like do win all the stuff. Mm -hmm. um, actually, people who don't struggle and still win gold, like I find those people less inspiring than the people who don't win anything, but have like put everything on the line to not win anything. Um, right. I don't know, like I think like as a parting message from me, like just be that person, be that person who's willing to shoot their shot and potentially mess it all up because those people are like the most interesting people by a mile. Dude, I love it. You're fantastic. Where do, where do people stalk you? How do uh, we stalk? Mainly Instagram. 
uh instagram's probably like the th- i mean i'm i'm not as active as like i should be my my like username is j underscore collins 89 but um maybe not twitter because in on twitter i keep getting mistaken for some nba player called john collins who's like apparently doing quite well at the moment um, <laughs> Oh. Instagram's the one to go for. Um, okay, good. Yeah. We'll we'll tag we'll tag it in there and we'll be yeah. sure to keep everybody updated on um on everything you've got going going on. But um thank you so much for coming on. Um so we value you. man. You're oh, anytime you're more than welcome anytime. Otherwise, uh, you stick with me, but I will see everyone else next week. <laughs>